All right. So, chapter one of Mark's gospel, and we're one to eight. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of the sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt round his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Why don't we pray? Father God, I thank you for your word. <clears throat> I thank you that we have the privilege of uh, reading it freely, of learning from it, of meditating on it, of soaking in it. And Lord, I pray that as we look at this passage and as we explore uh, the vision that I believe that you have given us for Guilt Park going forward, Lord, that you would keep our hearts and our minds open. Lord, that it would not be my words that would stir, but it would be your breath and your life and your power that would stir us as a church and stir us as individuals. pray this in Jesus' powerful and precious name. Amen. Amen. Can you recall to memory what it's like to be abruptly woken up? I felt like that this morning when my alarm went off. I remember a couple of days ago, my mum and dad were here and they were telling me of when I was little and I was, you know, wake up in the middle of the night with cramp or I'd had a bad dream or something. I would just kind of sneak into their room and just stand by their bed and not say anything. And then, and then I would just kind of gently whisper, wake up, wake up. Her mum said it was like a sixth sense. Even though she kind of knew there was something in the room, every time she woke up, she still got the fright of her life. It was a little bit creepy as a child, never mind. Or maybe it's a bit like my husband, Chris, who, um, bless him, has worked very early shifts most of his working life. And uh, so often that means that the alarm clock has gone off and he's missed it. And um, when it's actually gone off the 20th time, uh, (laughs) he's like, "Mm -mm mm-mm-mm. Mm-mm-mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, he kind of wakes up like a rabbit caught in headlights and you know doing the headless chicken dance like running around trying to like make sure he isn't late for work and it's similar to um to that in this passage um the words of john the baptist are like an alarm clock are like an alarm to the people of israel the jews and whilst not exactly saying wake up or being an alarm clock to them he's insinuating those words wake up wake up. He's, he's pointing to the Messiah who was coming and he's telling the Jews, you need to do a U-turn in your lives. You're living in all patterns of, of life and of sin and now there's a new beginning on the horizon. And it's important to note a couple of things about the Gospel of Mark. Firstly, he doesn't beat around the bush. He calls a spade a spade and I really like that about um, Mark. And he, compared to the other Gospels, he doesn't go into a lot of detail or he doesn't go into the genealogy of Jesus. He keeps it to the point. And secondly, one of his favorite words is the word immediately. And he uses it a lot and theologians would say that it's because of his focus on two things. One, to tell people who Jesus is 
and two, for people to respond to who Jesus is. So Mark wants to put across the urgency of sharing the good news and the urgency of responding to the good news. So a couple of things that I want to draw out and that I feel that God is speaking to us in terms of the vision for Guilt Park is first that we have been awakened or we're being awakened to new beginnings. See, the Jews at the time would have very often celebrated the moment the Israelites crossed the Red Sea and fled the Egyptians. And Mark speaks into that moment, um, but with new context. He references the scripture from Isaiah and Malachi, talking about a voice in the wilderness. And the Jews, more often than not, knew persecution. They knew the wilderness well. They knew God was coming to rescue them and be with them in that wilderness. And now Mark is saying that there is a new beginning with the Son of God. And he will forge a way. He is coming into the wilderness and he is about to bring a new future, a new hope, and ultimately salvation. And now Mark is also acknowledging the past for what it was and what it served for the Jewish people. But he's still calling them into a new season, one where they can turn from where they have settled and take a new adventure with the Son of God. John the Baptist is calling them into something more. He's calling them into an opportunity to start afresh, to draw a line, to not forget where they had come from, but to run to something, ultimately, to Jesus. Now, the Jews had gone through a lot. They'd seen persecution. They'd seen many leaders at the helm guiding and leading them. They had seen God do miraculous things, all part of their journey, all important in the bigger picture. Yet God didn't want them to stay in that place. As his people, he didn't want them to settle there. Through John the Baptist, he is preparing a way for a new beginning with Jesus. Now, Guild Park has been on an incredible journey, especially over the last five years. Hazel and Dave have led with such strength and passion and integrity and vision. Chuck and Taryn sharing their vision to launch the sites and all across our city and shire. And let's be honest, Guilt Park has birthed many of them. And so often we refer to Guilt Park as the mothership. And it's like that, isn't it? We've sent friends, people who we've shared life with, out into the rest of the city and the shire. And that's been exciting. And that's been thrilling to watch. But it's also been painful. And it's also been hard work. And childbirth whilst I don't know particularly firsthand, <laughs> from what I'm told, is hard. There is uncertainty. There are nerves. But most mothers that I've spoken to have all said it is worth it for the end result of the baby. Gilk, we have birthed many sights. We have seen incredible things happen as we've watched, sometimes from a distance. And I'm so inspired that through it all, on many levels, people could have left. People could have been tired with the constant release of friends and team, yet so many have stayed and been faithful, and God sees that, and God loves that. Yet when a mother gives birth, after a time of rest and recouping, she goes again. Whether that's back to work, or spending time looking after her children and teaching her children, whatever it is, she goes again. She pioneers new ground. She begins to pick up speed again. And when I was praying, I felt drawn to one of the more known passages in Ecclesiastes in chapter 3. And there were two verses that spoke to me. Firstly, a time to plant and a time to uproot. 
and secondly, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather. See, we have scattered many stones and planted many seeds as we have sent people out. But I believe that God is taking us into a new season of gathering, a new season of reaping what years and generations before us have already sown. And I believe that God has spoken on two fronts to us as Gilk Park for this next season. And by season, as Christ, you know, Christians, we use this word season very often. <laughs> but by season, I'm not talking about like the spring, summer, or whatever. I mean until we feel that God gives us new marching orders. But I believe he is awakening his church, Gilk Park, to new beginnings. Not crossing out the past, but building on the past into the new with him. And I believe he's calling us on two fronts. Firstly, to pioneer with him. And secondly, to posture ourselves for him. So, we are being awakened to pioneer. I'm going to grab a drink. (laughs) 20 years ago, a woman had the call of God on her life to do a ministry that would be life-changing. A dream that was so big, it was humanly impossible. She pushed back. She wrestled with God. She knew her insecurities. Yet after a short time, she responded yes to the call of God. And she began to pioneer. She began to take one step at a time. And she began to look after and look for the last, the lost, and the least in society. And it was not without pain. It was not without heartache. And it was not without sacrifice. But she began to build team. And she began to put one foot in front of the other. And in those years, she broke ground. And as a result, has seen hundreds of men, women, and young people respond to the gospel, set free from addiction, set free from uh, life, you know, chaotic lifestyle, set free from abuse. And now churches all across the country are traveling to learn and see what this ministry does in order that they can start a similar outreach. Now that woman, some of us we may know, is Caroline. And that ministry we know is Lifestyle, which is now a gateway worship service. It started off as a small group and now is a worship service. A ministry that was born to life and gave life to those who came along to it, but gave life to this church as well. Yet a ministry that was pioneered from nothing. And when I was prepping for this, I asked the Lord, is this for now? Is this vision for now? Is it for this Sunday? Is it to be shared even now? And I asked him for a sign. I was like, please, I need you to confirm this. I was sat in the training rooms. I was prepping on my laptop. And I said, Lord, I need a confirmation now. And my phone pinged. And I went over to my phone. And an email came through from somebody in that site. And they said this. They didn't know the passage I was prepping. And they didn't know that the vision that God has given me. They said, when we met up before, I forgot to say that when I'd been praying about Gilk Park, I had a sense that we were to be pioneers and not settlers. As a site that has sent out so many people, it is easy for people to have the mindset that we just send and not that we can forge new things for the site. Hope that makes sense. (laughs) I think that makes sense. Church, I believe that we're being called to pioneer once again. And the scripture that God has rooted this in in my life and in Chris as we've been kind of praying this through has been the beginning chapters of the story of Joshua. And three things have stood out. The importance of the stones, um, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel putting the stones by the River Jordan, the importance of the role of Rahab, and the importance of the call to worship. I'm going to look at the first two now, and then I'll look at the importance of the call to worship in just a sec. 
Now, I would read those chapters in Joshua, but it would take the rest of my time up. So I'm going to ask you to trust me. <laughs> and please go home, read, and, read the stories of Joshua, meditate on it. It's good stuff. But please, I'm just going to summarize it for the moment. And I felt like the Lord was uh, reminding me that the stones, when God asked the 12 tribes to place by the river, were to mark what had gone before. They were to point to God, to remind of his faithfulness, his justice, and his provision. And they were to mark out what had gone before. Our sending out has cost us, yet it has hugely enriched us. And whilst we are to be reminded of what, has, what God has done, we're not to stay in the same place. The Israelites didn't stay by the Jordan, but they moved into the promised land. The Jews didn't stay where they were, but they moved into new beginnings with uh, the Son of God, with Jesus. And secondly, the role of Rahab, I believe, is pivotal to our call to pioneer. See, here in the midst of um, Jericho and, and Joshua leading his people further into the promised land is a woman who by society standards has, is worth nothing and has no place. Yet by God's standards, she has a key place and is worth incredibly um, more than she could ever imagine in this particular story. See, Rahab was a prostitute and she was the last, the least and the lost. Yet she not only played a key part in seeing Jericho returned to Joshua and the Israelites, but she played a key part in the lineage of Jesus. And right throughout scripture, God has shown his heart and his compassion for the least, the lost, and the last. And he goes against all the norms. See, Hagar in Genesis is cast out as a single mum, a slave with an illegitimate son. And yet, God sees her. And he loves her, and he responds to her. Rahab, a city prostitute, enables the Israelites to take ground whilst being the mother of Boaz, who marries Ruth, who is the direct lineage of Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate pioneer, the one who John the Baptist is proclaiming in this passage and showing us the way. He eats with those on the outskirts of society. He chooses disciples who are untrained and, let's be honest, rough around the edges. The working class, he redeems Mary, the prostitute, and allows her to be seen with him, to eat with him. And he appears to Paul on the road to Damascus, and he changes his life, and he calls him out of a place where he would have been a persecutor to the Christians, but he turns his life around because he believed there was a significance for him and the role to play in the early church. Jesus pioneered many things. Yet one of the most powerful to us as a church today is his love and his lifestyle of serving those who are the lost, the last, and the least. So what does that look like for us at Guilt Park? I think we are to pioneer ways to those people, those who are marginalized, those who don't know Jesus. And we can do that in a number of ways. Here at Guilt Park, we run loads of ministries out of this building, some of which you may know of, some of which you may not know of. But we have Lifestyle that runs on a Monday, that gateway worship service. We have men and women's drop-ins throughout the week. We have CAP befriending services, that's Christians Against Poverty, helping people who are in debt. We have Cafe Church. It's happening right now. So often, it can, you know, we can go a Sunday morning and maybe not know that Cafe Church is happening downstairs. But it is a vital part to the life of our church. See, Gilk Park is not to be a building in which these run out of, but to be a people who facilitate these ministries to happen. 
And so today I'm asking you, where is your place in this? And for some of you, that will be to pioneer new things. For some of you, you're already hosting and sitting with dreams that God has given you that are yet to come to fruition. And I believe that right now God is calling that out into beginning, into being. And for other of us, it may not be pioneering those things, but it may be... It may be being a team, being an encouragement, being the champions of those people who are pioneering. We all have a place in this, and we all have a role to play. And I believe specifically God is asking me to go again into the restore um, area of ministry, into the sex industry in our city. And I believe that there are people here in this room who know that God has been burdening them and speaking to their hearts about this. And so if that is you, then we'd love to hear from you because I believe that the time is to go again in that area. Because Guilt Park, the vision is not um, that we just get comfortable with where we are at right now, you know, coming on a Sunday morning, doing our thing in the week. But that we would see this place filled with people who don't know Jesus. That we would see lives transformed in the community. That we would see the last, the least and the lost know Jesus and know his transforming power in their lives. The hope, the freedom, the love that he has to bring. See, when society says that they have no place or that their place is limited, that we as a church say welcome to the family. Jesus is awakening his church in this area. And I would love that Guilt Park would be a place that is known that we pioneer in this area. That people in years to come, come to find out how we did it. Because God is calling us in this. So how are we going to respond? Secondly, we are being awakened in our posture. Again, another drink. Now you may be thinking, how can my posture be awakened? Fair enough. Uh, Maybe think of it more like shaken up, uh, set straight, stretched out. I don't know if you've ever been to a chiropractor or to a deep tissue masseuse. Um, But when they get right into your neck and your shoulders and your back, you feel like a new person after it. That's what I mean by awakened posture. I heard uh, a while ago there was an interview on the radio of... um, one of the England rugby coaches on Five Live. And the person interviewing the coach asked him, uh, you know, the players that were coming up through the academy, who did he think out of those players were going to succeed? And the coach paused and had to think for a minute. And then he said, basically, it was simply down to the difference in posture. Those who were going to succeed had the right posture. He said, because those who wouldn't make it had already decided once they'd come out of the academy or out of they'd come out of training that they'd already made it that they were already the big shot and pride had got in the way and they'd relaxed and they'd stopped working as hard but those who had postured themselves and known they'd been given a new opportunity and something to work towards were often the ones that made the team and the same goes for us the moment we accept Jesus into our lives we have a choice when we go on that journey with him do we sit back or do we press on And sometimes that can be right at the beginning of our journey with Jesus. But more often than not, it's sometimes an everyday decision. And as I said earlier in Mark's Gospel, it emphasizes two main themes. Who is Jesus and what is our response to him? And in the first few verses of the book, John the Baptist is calling out to the people, asking them to repent. And repenting not only in word and action, but through the action of the heart. 
and the Old Testament reference to kind of like the mashup between the prophets Isaiah and Malachi are encouraging the people to make their path straight, to prepare the way for Jesus. And in some ways that can mean through action, and in others that is a heart preparation for Jesus. Now that doesn't mean that we have to be perfect in order for Jesus to take up residence in our lives. None of us would be here if that was the case. But rather we need to be willing and open to his ways. Now I mentioned earlier that there were three ways in which God was speaking to me in the area of Joshua. And I talked about the importance of worship, the call to worship. And I believe that that ties into God awaking us in our posture. See, God has heard, um, sorry, Joshua has heard God speaking to him about Jericho. He has also heard him tell Joshua and sends the priests out before the army to, to worship around the city seven days and on the seventh day seven times. Now, most people would think that's quite an odd thing to do to send effectively your worship team around the city before you go into battle. But what, hap- what is happening here is trifled. One, Joshua's Joshua is close enough to God to hear him and to respond to his call. Secondly, he's willingly acting on God's call. And thirdly, God is showing him that it's not by their might or by their power, but it is by God alone that the walls will come down. And last week, Chuck talked about the significance of the number seven, you know, in um, relation to Revelation. And I believe that God is not only saying that it is through his strength, but it is through his posture of heart. You know, he's drawing them day in, day out, seven days, that's every day of the week, into um, relationship with him, into praise and to worship of him. And there is a wholeheartedness approach here. There's almost like a perfection of approach here as we see them bow the knee and praise God for who he is. Now what I'm saying here is we can have all the vision in the world, yet if we don't have Jesus right at the centre, it's not good enough. (laughs) We won't make it, we won't see it through. And so whilst I believe that God is calling us to be a site that pioneers, that sees restoration in our communities, and that sees this building overflowing with people who have yet to know Jesus, ultimately the vision is Jesus. And again, so what does that look like? personally and what I believe God is um, inviting us into is that every time we meet together here on a Sunday every time we meet together in the week that we raise the roof in worship that we call out to God in a wholehearted response to him that we would posture ourselves that it's fitting to the king to our sovereign to our Lord that our prayer gatherings would be bursting at the seams that small groups would see the move, um, would see a move of uh, the spirit in power and in healing. That people's hearts would be healed. That um, hearts would be raised to what God is asking us to do. And so, what does that look like for each of us individually? Maybe that's, you know, you're sitting on a gifting of worship, and maybe now it's time to step out in that gifting of worship. And that could be at the front playing an instrument, singing, or that could be at the back doing PA and media. Maybe it's. Uh, a gifting in the prophetic and stepping out. You know, I believe that prophecy is there to build up the church and to encourage and to equip. And so maybe for some of us that is stepping out in some of the things that we know God is speaking to us about. And even just in worship, I wonder if maybe for some of us it's a new song in us. There's a song that may be sung on a, 
at church on the Sunday, or it may be that there's a song that's sung when we have times where we're still in worship, that a new song rises, and that this is a place where that's okay and that's encouraged, and that we see things break in that time. And I get it, sometimes it is hard. And I remember for 18 months finding it you know, difficult myself to even sing the words on the screen. When prayers haven't been answered, when healing hasn't come. And for me it felt like depression had robbed me of everything. Yet often things sometimes feel like they're robbing us of everything. But the one thing it doesn't rob us of is our will. Our will to turn up. Our will to cry out to God again and again. Our will to raise our hands and to proclaim that he is good and that he is faithful. A will to step up and to step out. I'll land on this. The Bible Speaks Today commentary on this passage in Mark, um, a guy called Donald English wrote this. In that wider sweep of God's purposes, we, lean, uh, we learn to play our limited yet vital part. History is his. The universe is his. The mission to the world is his. We are most fulfilled not when we seek fulfillment, but when we seek to find our proper place in his never-ending purposes for this world. We are both less and more important than we think. In that ongoing process, we belong together. So Guilt Park, I'm stepping out and going out on a limb here in what I believe that God has called us um, as a site and as a family. We are to pioneer for the last, the lost and the least. And we are to posture ourselves in a new way before the King. And we all have a part to play. We all need to work together as a team. And the question remains... Are we in? Why don't we stand?